Yo, yo, what's going on, everybody? Been a minute. Pete Forsey, the podcast. I'm sorry that we didn't get to talk last Friday. I know that was originally the plan. However, after the first round, I got to thinking and I thought about all the things that kind of tick me off about people that just take the first round in a vacuum and then, you know, day two and day three of the draft happen. So I decided to wait. Glad I did. We're going to dive right into the NFL draft. Don't worry. I'm not going to be talking about sixth round picks uh, maybe one day, but not today. Not right now. We're going to keep it uh, keep it pretty conceptual. Uh, going to talk about the big things. Josh Rosen, obviously, he didn't get drafted today, but he was traded. That's going to be a part of it. We're going to dash in a few baseball-related things. St. Louis Cardinals, they got a big stretch on their schedule coming up. They're going to Washington, then over to Wrigley. I'm actually going to be at a couple of those games. So we're going to dive right in. It's episode uh, whatever of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Kicking things off with just sort of my biggest takeaway from the NFL draft, we could get a little more in-depth to it as far as just this team, that team, but I kind of just trace back to my time a year ago. I was uh, It was at my old job, and I was talking to one of my coworkers, and we were uh, you know chopping up the draft after it happened in 2018, and he was talking about this team, that team, and he kept saying, man, they look really good now, or you know, this team is going to make the playoffs, or they can only win this minimum number of games they're gonna be great and I was just like yeah you know I could totally see where you're coming from I agree but that's the thing after the draft is everybody looks great on paper everyone does that's the thing about the NFL there is 16 games 16 I had a friend once say do you think sometimes the media makes too much out of one loss or coaches or teams make too much out of one loss in the NFL and I said no no I do not think they do Look, sometimes a loss is just that. It's a loss and you get back on track. But in the NFL, man, the best thing they have going for them from a consumer standpoint is urgency. Every game matters. Every single one of them. The slimmest of margins in the NFL. That's why we see so many worst-to-first teams. That's why we see so many crazy things. One bounce this way. One injury at that time at the wrong time on the schedule. Facing this team at the correct uh, moment. It all matters, and that's how you get Super Bowl seasons or even just playoff berths. But the thing that reigns true in the NFL, when you look year after year, are the things that you consistently see from the Blue Bloods. And we saw them during the NFL draft this weekend. And that's this. Don't have rules. Seriously, don't have rules. Because the teams that get better and the ones that stay up on top of the mountaintop, they operate with no principles or no bylaws, if you will. Sure, you can have principles, but they even break those too. The Patriots, Eagles, Chiefs, Rams, Seahawks, Colts, I think we would all agree they got better through the draft. And yeah, do they sound familiar? It's because they were all playoff teams in 2018. The Patriots arguably got three starters from their first like four picks. They got a great amount of contributors. The Seahawks, they did nothing but trade back. Why? Because they just signed Russell Wilson to $35 million a year, traded Frank Clark. They said, we need picks. We need to get guys that can contribute from day one. The Rams, what did they do? They used to hoarder draft picks earlier on. Five years ago, they, they wanted nothing but the picks. Then what did they start doing? Yeah, they gave them up. They started giving them up. How did they supplement their team? Free agency. There's no hard and fast rules in the NFL. That's the world we live in today. We like to 
project. We, we, we like to have forthright views. This is how you build a team. This is what's consistent. Yeah, you know, there's all different methods of procurement for a reason. It's because they all have value. Some have more value than others, and sometimes that value diminishes later on. What I saw from this NFL draft overall, my biggest takeaway is the playoff teams only got better. Cleveland, yeah, you got better too. I like Greedy Williams. Glad you got him. I think he's going to be a day one contributor for you. Arizona Cardinals, yeah, you got Kyler Murray. Fantastic. I'm going to get to him in a minute. You also got a whole bunch of receivers. You are loading up for Cliff Kingsbury. But you know what? The teams in front of you, they are not going anywhere, and it's going to be a hell of a 2019 season. It's really funny how with the media and some fans, I guess, alike, that when you don't have the same evaluation of a player as maybe a team does, you seem to just kind of contradict yourself. I know with uh, the New York Giants, people are slamming them for taking Daniel Jones as high as they did, and then, of course, the D-tackle later on. But the, the resounding thing that I keep hearing is, what is the Giants' plan? They just don't seem to have any direction. And then when Kyler Murray goes number one overall, because they value Kyler Murray that highly, they don't seem to uh, get on Steve Kime for jumping ship from the alleged plan that he had last year because he took Josh Rosen, number 10 overall. No one no one questions him jumping ship from that plan, but oh, because we don't agree with the the uh, the evaluation of Daniel Jones, we're going to, you know, knock Dave Gettleman. So, I you know, I just find that interesting that it seems to just come down to the evaluation of a player necessarily. Um, but you know, I'm of the mindset that I'm okay with Steve Kime doing what he did. I'm okay with it, one, because I don't believe in plans. I think this is the perfect example of why you don't, because you don't know what you're going to get dealt in the future down the line. I mean, it's one season, and he has the number one pick. And this Kyler Murray guy actually turns out to be pretty doggone good. No one thought he would be that good in college, so what did he do? He switched it up. But do I agree with it? No, I don't, but I respect the fact that he was willing to take that chance. Um, getting into Kyler Murray specifically, I like the player a lot. I've already talked about that. I think it's going to be great to see him in the air raid offense because that's what it appears Cliff Kingsbury is going to do. Cliff Kingsbury is saying, I'm taking my stuff straight from college and we're putting it in the NFL. We'll see how it works out. A lot of people don't think it worked out for Chip Kelly. I kind of think he got a bad rap, rap for that. I don't think he was given really a sufficient amount of time. So we're going to see how Cliff Kingsbury does it, all right? A lot of people are rooting for him, it appears. They took all those receivers, Akeem Butler, uh, Andy Isabella. Um, I forget the other guy. Did they take Hurd? Oh, no, that was San Francisco. They didn't take Jalen Hurd, but they took a whole bunch of receivers. They took Keyshawn Johnson. That's who the Cardinals took. Um, so they're going offense, man. They're all in on air raid. They got Kyler Murray, who I think is probably most perfect uh you know, suitable for running that offense. However, I think Josh Rosen could have done it, okay? He's more of a timing rhythm type of passer. Um, I know that the air raid kind of likes to have a quarterback that can maneuver laterally outside the pocket um, to create plays, but I think Rosen could have done it. And I also think Rosen's game is a little more suited for the NFL. I'm not this old hag who thinks that college is not infiltrating through the NFL, okay? I'm accepting it. I truly am. I'm not one of those guys. However, there are some things that are just different from the college game, and you can see it at various levels. The pass rush is one of them, and I think that's the biggest thing with Kyler Murray that I'm going to question. And I know a lot of people say, well, Russell Wilson, look at him. He manipulates the pass rush all the time. Okay, yeah, he does. He's also going to be a Hall of Famer. 
He's also going to be in a first ballot Hall of Famer, more than likely. And then people point to Drew Brees. He's also 5'9". What does that matter? Don't worry about Kyler's height. Yeah, I mean, Kyler's 5'10". It's still something to worry about, though. Can he consistently stay in the pocket when it gets pinched from the better teams with the better defense alignment? Because that's what defensive coordinators are going to do. They're going to pinch the pocket, force him to stand up and throw, throw to the middle of the field, throw up to uh, along the sidelines, and potentially create throwing lanes for himself. That's the thing that makes Russell Wilson so great. A lot of people didn't project him to do that. But you know what? Time and again, he's proven that he can do it at the NFL level, and that's why people trust him. That's why he's really the anomaly more than anything. I don't know about Kyler Murray, if he can do that. That's why I kind of trust Josh Rosen more. His game is more reliable for the NFL, uh, how it's played. And I'm starting to wonder, is Cliff Kingsbury a guy who, again, it just appears he's going to do pure air raid here. Is he not going to look down in South Beach in a couple of years and be like, damn, Rosen kind of, he, he might have been a little more reliable. Kyler's great, but Kyler's not beating the better teams. He's not beating the better defenses. Josh is kind of showing that he's got that refined footwork. He's got the anticipation. He's got the throws to the middle of the field a little bit better. You know, I mean, look, we all do that, where we think we have something better. We have something better kind of uh, waiting in the wings, so then we get rid of what we currently have. You know, you had a girl, she was great, but then there was another one. And then, you know few months down the line, maybe years down the line. You look at the other girl. You uh, you creep on that Instagram a little bit. Damn, she did start working out. Oh, yeah, daddy has a lake house. Might have fucked that one up. Look, we all do it, okay? And I'm not saying it's the wrong move by Kime. It's not the room, uh, wrong move by Kingsbury. But it just begs the question. I think Rosen's game is a little bit more reliable for the NFL. Kyler Murray uh, may be conducive to air rate a little bit better, but I don't agree with uh, with the decision. I respect the fact that they're willing to jump ship for a plan, but it we're, we're going to have to take a close monitoring this over the next few years because I like Josh Rosen's game. I think it's better for the NFL. We'll see where the Cardinals are in a couple of years. One of the last few things I want to talk about in regards to the NFL draft is a word that just keeps coming up, and I've already used it because it is important. I don't want to dismiss it. It is important, and it's probably the number one priority when it comes to selecting players. However, it's not the end-all, be-all, and that is value. A lot of talk about value from all your local TV stations, your TV shows that are breaking down the draft, podcasts, radio shows, what have you. They keep crushing the Raiders, crushing the Giants, crushing other teams too about, well, you know, I just, I don't like this pick here because of the value. It's, uh, you know, you, you might have been able to get them. Look, value is important. It is. I've already mentioned it again. But it's not the end-all be-all. It's not the only component to drafting. Need, timing, those are both other things that matter. And matter a lot. It's not like value is far and away the most important thing. People dismiss selecting players completely nowadays because the value doesn't match the player. They, it's a non-starter for them. And you know what? Especially in a world where I hear some of the same people in the media, they say don't spend money in free agency. I got to tell you, if people were operating under your rules, it, they're, they're walking a pretty tight rope, man. They got the draft, and that's about it. And if the value doesn't match, then you can't take them. 
I mean, you're not giving your room, you're not giving me any margin for a reward. For you, it's just all about risk. And I got to ask you, what's the risk? If you get the player that you want, that's a good thing. A lot of times, what you're paying them and what you sacrifice is moot because you got this, you got the something that you wanted. Look, value is important, but there are times when the best team in football, the Patriots, they throw that completely out the window. People wonder, why does Bill Belichick take a running back, Sonny Michelle, in the first round last year? Because he's not married to it. The Dallas Cowboys, who are underrated as far as a, a team that drafts, they throw it out the window too. Probably the most shining example is Ezekiel Elliott three years ago. Value was completely thrown off the window. Out the window, excuse me. The reason being, it was the perfect storm. Remember 2016. Tony Romo is coming back from an injury. And whatever you think about Romo, the fact is, is that he was a great quarterback in the league. Just, I mean, simple facts. The way he played, you go back to the tape, it's true. He's coming off injury, so they say, okay, we got a healthy Romo, great. One of the better, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. When healthy, he plays awesome. We have a complete offensive line, probably the best. We have three starters, and then we have uh, Lyle Collins, who, of course, didn't go in the first round, uh, unfortunately, because of an incident in 2015. So you have four first-round picks on the offensive line. They think they have the best one. You tag that with a stingy defense. No, they're not, like, great. They needed a pass rusher, but Joey Bosa was taken before that. They couldn't have selected him, so that's off the table. Could they have used a cornerback? Yeah. And full disclosure, I wanted them to take Jalen Ramsey at number four in 2016. But when you combine it with the external factors, look at Philadelphia. What'd they do that year? Oh yeah, they took Carson Wentz, number two. New quarterback, new head coach in Philly. A lot of questions there, right? Washington, they had that guy named Kirk Cousins. They were embroiled in a contract controversy with Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder. Yeah, that uh, that has disaster written all over. And to a lot of people, it was. New York Giants, yeah, they were on an island of one thinking that Eli Manning could still play quarterback. Everybody else was laughing at them, including the Cowboys. They also had a new head coach. You combine that with Ezekiel Elliott, Ohio State. Everyone remembers the Alabama game. I remember watching that with my friends, and everyone was just wowed. They said, man, this guy can run, he can catch, and most importantly, he pass protects. Probably the most underrated thing. you got to be able to block. Otherwise, coaches aren't going to put you out there. You're going to get the quarterback killed. The Cowboys saw all this and said, oh my God, the timing is there and we need a running back. Throw value out the window. We are basically punching our ticket to the playoffs right here in 2016 and it's going to keep us going for a couple more years. We're, we're taking Ezekiel Elliott fourth. I remember Lewis Riddick. He was pounding the table for this. He said, the time is now. Everything is aligning. This is where value doesn't match it, but it's okay. There's plenty of other examples where this happens. I just named a few of them. When, you know, you got new head coaches in your uh, in your division, okay? What's the competitiveness of your conference as a whole? How old is your quarterback? You remember Brady and the Patriots after they came off that Super Bowl against uh, the Falcons? What did Bill Belichick do? He went out and he got Stephon Gilmore. He got other guys in free agency. Everyone's asking him questions like, hey, coach, you don't do this. What's up? What's the deal? And he kind of shrugged his shoulders after about the fifth time Fifth time they asked him. And he just said, look, I don't, like, have rules. I, I take the resources that I have. I try to be pragmatic in my thinking. And we just, we try to build a team for right then and now and to, to win. 
Like some of us in the media get caught up in this idea of windows and, you know, take a quarterback or, you know, take a this. It's like it's not about a it's about the. You don't concede seasons. These windows of opportunity are drastically overrated. You pounce on the opportunities that present themselves. You read and react. Plans, as I said before, throw them out the window. You got to be on your game every single day. Read and react to the opportunities that present themselves and build a team that way. Value, need, timing, those are all the components when it comes to draft selection. Value is not the end-all, be-all. I'm glad that some teams are going against the grain. Do I agree with it? No, I don't agree with everything that the Raiders and Giants are doing. But I'm glad that they're applying all the principles that happen with good drafting. Look at the Patriots. Look at the Cowboys. Look at some of the other teams, Eagles, that apply the same things. They are the consistent winners in the NFL. Next topic is something that really I don't want to talk to you about. I look forward to this podcast every week. And uh, I'm excited to talk sports with you. However, this is something that is sports because it relates to the athlete. However, it's nothing that really has to do with on the field necessarily, or it does. But um, the the news is off the field. That's Tyreek Hill. Um, I don't think there's any question. Nobody is really in disagreement here. This is very incriminating audio that we have heard. Um, I think if everyone had to guess, they would say that Tyreek Hill is a guilty man. And... I would say the same thing. I, I just based on what I see, the smoke, I think there's a fire and I think he's guilty. Uh, like the guy, like the deputy said, he goes, I think a crime's occurred, but we can't prove it necessarily. That was before the audio was released. Um, but now that this audio is released, I, I think I think he's a guilty man. It's important to say that he's not as of this moment. It's all just alleged. But uh, yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire a lot of the times. And I think that's the case here. But the important thing that I want to bring up here is that I just cannot stand when society, media members typically, because this is when they get all their old articles out, they just pretty much rewrite the same story. It's where the NFL is responsible. And I, I cannot stand that. I don't understand why they think the NFL has this responsibility to put their foot down and really basically be the judicial system. That's not their job. That's why we are a system of laws and we let that carry out. Um, I'll just, I'll never grasp that. I mean, the NFL is no different than any other business, any other corporation organization. I don't know what they society expects the NFL to do to, to fight change. Um, And then secondly, it's, you know, it comes down to Andy Reid and the chiefs. And John Dorsey obviously drafted him in 2016 in the fifth round. And they're saying, shame on you. And I think it's just kind of hard to say that. I, I mean, judging character is the hardest thing to do. I talk about character all the time on the show. It's something that I'm really interested in as far as the team building aspect is culture. What wins and what loses? Statistics are everywhere nowadays. We can see if a guy's good at, you know, throwing the deep ball. We can see if a guy can uh, create separation at the receiver position. But culture, understanding that, that takes a lot. Okay, that that takes really just anecdotal uh, support. You know, you have to glean that over time. And that's why I think it's so much fun. That's why I put so much, like, really effort into it. Paying attention to what guys say. Seeing uh, how they carry themselves. Seeing, like, what reports of, like, what kind of guy are they. But, you know, on the other hand, when it comes to instances like this, 
and this is probably where maybe a lot of people just disagree and we can disagree agreeably is when it comes to domestic violence, some people don't believe in second chances. And if that's what you believe, fine. Okay. I'm not on that train. I believe in second chances. I think most of the time, almost everybody needs them. God knows I did. I have. But the truth is, is that no case, no one, two cases are ever the same. We always love to pull out the comparables. Ray Rice, Reuben Foster, Greg Hardy, what have The truth is, each of these cases need to be treated independently to be fair. Because yes, domestic violence is domestic violence. Is any of it acceptable? No. But none of them are the same. I think if we all were able to see it ourselves, you know, just theoretically, some of these domestic violence cases, we would put them on a broad range. We would say, gosh, this is all of it's unacceptable, but gosh, this is bad. And you know what? Gosh, this is really bad. So to treat everything the same, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that with coaches nor the NFL. But sticking back and getting back to the character evaluation, I'm not going to fault Andy Reid or John Dorsey for basically messing this one up. Because in their in my heart of hearts, I don't believe they just looked at Tyreek Hill and said, I don't care. I don't care that he punched his pregnant girlfriend in college. I, we're taking him. I really don't think that's, that's who they are. I don't think that's how they went about it. I feel like they really uh, deliberated. I think they did their research, and I think they talked to Tyreek Hill face-to-face. They listened to him, and they believed him. Were they wrong? Yeah, it appears to be so. But the truth is, it's really hard to judge when someone's when you see someone face-to-face and they're answering your questions. Because let's be honest, Tyreek Hill, whenever they met uh, – whenever he met the Kansas City Chiefs in 2016 prior to the draft, he sat down with them, and he was coached up. He was coached up by his agent, uh, by whomever else close to him, and said, these are the questions you're going to get. This is how you need to respond. If you get in this situation, say this. This is safe. So maybe Tyreek Hill was just a really good talker when it came to answering uh, questions about his past over at Oklahoma State with, uh, with his now wife. You know, Johnny Manziel. A lot of people said the same thing about him. It's not the same situation. But they said during the interview process prior to the draft, he just had an answer for everything. He was coached up. Everything was premeditated. So am I going to fault Andy Reid for basically being credulous? Maybe I can. You know, it's happened two times now with Kareem Hunt. Maybe he's just gullible. Maybe he's just not good at that. But at the same time, there's been a success story under Andy Reid. Again, not the same offense, but Michael Vick. I think a lot of people would say that what he did was a horrible thing with the dogfighting and such. But you know what? He's proven Andy Reid right. He came back to the league. He's been very remorseful. He's tried to empower change. He's tried to be an even better teammate than when he was with the Atlanta Falcons. I don't fault guys for going with second chances. Some things are just unforgivable in this world, and you don't deserve second chances. But there are some instances where I think second chances are okay, and I'm really not going to fault too many coaches Because I'm not inside the room. I don't hear Tyreek Hill. I don't hear Kareem Hunt telling uh, the coach what happened. And if he's, you know, tripping over his words, but he sounds sincere, so that's why they do it. Everything's case by case, and you you go on a gut feel. You say, God, I, I do believe this guy. Or you know what? No, I don't. I'm not picking him up. So it's, it's really tough for the media to judge that, I think. Um, and then again with the NFL, I think it's just not really their 
that's not their job. But obviously, I do believe that there needs to be some sh- sort of punishment, okay? I talk about conduct all the time as far as what it, uh, as it relates to culture and winning. So it's not that I'm saying that, you know, they shouldn't hand down any punishment. My problem is, and I guess the point I'm trying to get across here is that people that want a, like, uniform policy, like, one strike, you're out, that just, that doesn't work because no case, again, is the same as another. You gotta, you gotta really uh, adjudicate by a case-by-case basis, just like, you know, the criminal justice system does. Um, So, I mean, that's really where I land on that. I think, you know, there is a standard in the NFL because of the public uh, eye that you are in, that there is a higher standard of conduct that you need to adhere to. So I understand that, and I'm okay with the NFL handing down punishments. However, I don't like uh, the idea of really just kicking everybody out of the league because no two things are the same. They never are. Um, Tyreek Hill. I think he's played his last down in the NFL. I don't think anyone would pick him up if I were a GM owner. Would I pick him up? No, because really he has had a second chance. He messed up in college. His second chance was you get an opportunity to play here. You earn your trust back every single day. And now it appears, yeah, you you, you duped us. You fooled us. And uh, looks like this is repeated behavior on your part uh, pretty regularly. So that would be the end of the line for me with Tyreek Hill. But in other cases, I don't necessarily like that. I don't like uh, one-strike policy that a lot of people are throwing out there or that the media seems to be suggesting when the NFL should put their foot down. You know, it's no two things are the same. Context is everything. And, you know, it's sad that the context that we got from Tyreek Hill, um, really sad for that three-year-old, his son, and really sad for uh, his wife. Uh, I believe her name is Crystal. Hopefully things get better. Hopefully we'll have an answer soon on his future. And really, uh, just the NFL as a whole, hopefully it will improve. Let's dive into St. Louis Cardinals baseball because they are absolutely rolling. Tops in the NL Central. They just stacked up their third Uh, series win and they are just stacking up series man they're piling up wins and they have a big road trip coming up as we flip the calendar to may they're going to washington they're taking on the nats in dc and then they're going over to wrigley field in chicago to take on the cubbies i'm actually uh, i'm going to a couple of those games i want to lay my eyes on this team okay i've been watching through the television um, but, you know, I got to see it in person, all right? I'm going to be out in the bleachers. I'm going to see uh, – I, I want to see what my eyes tell me there, okay? It's going to be a fun uh, couple days of baseball there. Uh, the podcast will be sponsored by Anheuser-Busch. There will be plenty of supply on hand. Can't wait for that. If you're going to be if you're going to be making the trip up there, St. Louis, uh, yeah, maybe come find me, okay? We'll, uh, we'll converse. Uh, we'll have some fun there. But let's get into the nitty-gritty here, okay? Because a lot of hitters – a couple of them that I'm really haven't been high on are shoving it right back in my face. Paul DeYoung. This guy's been a monster, okay? I didn't think he could do it. I didn't think he could do it this well. And again, it's April, so I'm not really going to give him all the credit just yet. But 28%, that was his K rate when he entered the major leagues in 2017. Last season, he cut it down a little bit, 25.1. This year, 17.5. That is better than league average. Some would say that's actually pretty exceptional in today's game. 17.5% K rate for Paul DeYoung. Again, I like it. Um, he's really proven me wrong at this moment. I think he's hitting the ball with the same authority that he still has. Now, he's not walking that much, okay? 4.7%, that was 2017. Improved a, a lot last season to 7.3, but now we're back at 58 Okay, so he still doesn't walk that much, and if he starts striking out more, 
that comes more to like his career averages, then we're going to be back with the same old problem. But right now, Paul DeYoung is smashing the ball. Been a bit of a underrated part of the Cardinals lineup right now. But of course, the key, and that's what we're going to get to now, Marcelo Zuna. Look, I, I was hard on this guy. I didn't, I didn't think he came in shape. Uh, I wasn't really happy that his shoulder wasn't ready to go. But it sounds like this shoulder thing is really just building up stamina. And while it's not 100%, it's more about just managing it. And he says it's getting better. And while the outfield, it's been an adventure. Uh, we all saw the clip you know, a couple weeks back. At the plate, man, he is elevating the baseball again. That was the big thing last year is that he was hitting the ball hard, but it was on the ground. And when the ball's on the ground, a lot of times that means death. There are only some instances, depending on the hitter, which hitting the ball on the ground is okay. Otherwise, you want to elevate, celebrate. That's what he's doing. He's hit 10 home runs in the month of April. I think this has staying power, okay? I really do. I really, really do. I think he's going to uh, continue to do this, and we might be seeing the hitter that was more 2017. I don't think it's going to be quite that, but I think we're going to see something closer to 2017 than we did in 2018. The guy that I'm not buying, Dexter Fowler, okay? The, the, the K rates, the walk rates, they're just not there, okay? Right now, he's got weak contact, okay? Everything's a bloop over the shortstop or falling in between the center and right fielder. It's not hit hard. I don't like it, all right? He's got a long swing. When you see the replays on there, a lot of wasted movement with the hands. I'm not sure he's all the way back. Is he producing? Yeah, great. I'll give him credit for it. Good job, Dex. See if he can keep it up. But right now, the signs are telling me that's probably not going to be the case. But let's get to this week. Washington Nationals, we got a four-game set there. The Cardinals pitching, you would think they're doing uh, pretty good, right, if you read some of the local headlines. Truth is they're not. They're not. They're fielding independent pitching, which for those who aren't aware, that's basically just an ERA stat that cuts out all the defense, all the things that pitchers can't control, all right? It's just it's it's walks, it's hits, um, it's, uh, it's uh, strikeouts, and it's home runs hit by pitches, okay? So that fielding independent ERA, it's scaled to give you the same idea of like a regular ERA as far as what's good and what's bad, is 530, 5.30 fielding independent pitching ERA. That is worst in the National League. It's the worst. And their strikeout percentage, 10th, 23.8. Ground ball percentage, 12th, 42.2. Their whip is solid. It's 6, 1.31. The point is, is that I don't like the peripherals here. I really don't. I don't like the peripherals for the Cardinals pitching, pitching, excuse me, especially for a team that they're going to face in the Washington Nationals. They, uh, they hit pretty good. They're fourth in home runs at 41. The Cubs, they take a lot of walks. They're fourth in the National League, 10.7. So all those solo home runs that, uh, you know, people aren't making a big fuss about by the Cardinals pitchers. They're saying, well, solo home runs, they don't typically beat you. That's not going to be a case against these two teams, all right? The Cubs, they take their walks. They're fourth. You get traffic on the base paths and let a home run out in Wrigley. If the wind is blowing out on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, oh, my gosh. They, they got to get more ground balls. You can pitch to the strikeout in today's game, no doubt about it, but you better get them. The, the Cardinals aren't at a high enough clip. Tenth? No, it's got to be better than that. The Nationals, they're going to be a formidable opponent, all right? They just haven't been healthy. Trey Turner's out. Anthony Rendon's been banged up. They got uh, Key Boom. He's up now. We'll, we'll see what he can do. The Cubs, they gain traction at home, man. It's, it's arguably probably the most toughest home environment. They elevate their game there. 
We're going to see what this week brings, all right? I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, okay? Long season, it's April. We're just going to be flipping it to May. But we're, we're going to see if the Cardinals can uh, win in different ways because this home run thing, it, it's troubling. It, I mean, the law of averages, will, will they will uh, line out. You're not going to give up that many solo home runs. I don't think it's a concerted effort or it's a t- change of philosophy with Cardinals pitchers. You don't give up that many home runs because you're not uh, – you're not afraid of them during those counts. That's too many home runs to be given up. There's going to be more traffic on the base pass. Let's see the Cardinals pitching shift their philosophy as they head to D.C. and Chicago. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I kept it pretty uh, philosophical, more about approach in the NFL draft. If you have more questions on what I think about players, uh, I would be happy to break that down for you on the next podcast. So if you got any questions, hit me up on Twitter. Instagram, slide up in those DMs, at Pete4C. Give me questions on different players. Fire back at me. Challenge me on what I've uh, what I've said. I'd love to answer your questions. I'll read them right here on the show if you want me to. If not, just tell me, uh, uh, you know, no go on there, and I'll, uh, I'll just answer back right there via direct message. But at Pete4C, that's number four, letter C. Or you can hit up the text line or the voicemails. If you want to fire uh, your voice over to me, through the hotline, I'll play the voicemail right here on the podcast. The number for that is 816-226-7483. It's also in my bio and all the social media, so you can check that out there. Until then, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. I'm going to Wrigley, going to enjoy some baseball. Hopefully we get some warmer weather. I'm hoping that wind uh, stays to a minimum and the cold goes away as well. I know they've had some wintry mix here lately up in Chi-Town. So until then, enjoy the rest of your week. We will see you down.